morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, people. It is 9.02 Daylight Savings Time. It is March 27, 2019. This is episode 77 of Bitcoin And. Jack Mallers is rocking pretty much every single step he takes uh it looks like yesterday he uh i just published an an, an i just published announcing a zap desktop 0.4.0 beta all new channel management ui improved and hardened onboarding opt-in mainnet neutrino for advanced users developers and much more onwards so i'm going to read a little bit about his uh his announcement in uh, medium this is jack mallers if you should i can't believe i'm looking at it now and i can't believe i'm not following him on media okay so yo today is a good day zap desktop version 0.4.0 beta has been released you can download the new release for mac windows and linux here and obviously here is a freaking link you can find updated tutorials for 040 here where here is yet another link you may not recognize Zap this time around. We have completely redesigned the channel UI, added better support for third-party integrations, improved error handling, allow advanced users to help test mainnet neutrino, and much more. However, the biggest takeaway from this release for me is the quality of work being done at such a rapid pace. If you look at the Zap desktop repositories commit history you can see that the activity in the last four months is greater than the total amount of activity in zaps lifetime prior and he's got a graph here that's like from december you know december 1st through uh uh march 17th and it's just my god it he's he's not lying man there's more development in the last three months than than the entire lifetime it's awesome Zap's desktop application has broken 40 contributors. Uh, let me let that sink in, guys. Zap has 40 contributors working on it. What started out as Jack's, you know, like little pet project has blossomed into a full freaking blown development community. <laughs> fucking A, Jack. Good job, bro. Sitting currently at 43 developers, with many more not accounted for that are active testers and bug reporters. Thanks to our testers and contributors, Zap has never been more stable. So he goes in, he goes on and gives some uh, stuff about new channel management UI and uh, improved onboarding and the whole mainnet neutrino opt-in. And let's uh, let's see what what he just said. I'll I'll just read what he says about neutrino Zap 4.0 allows advanced users to run Zap Neutrino on mainnet with no remote node setup required. Wow, this was a debated topic within the Zap community, and I wanted to touch on it quickly. This feature is intended for advanced users and developers. When selecting mainnet, I don't know, man. 
this sounds a little bit, what's the word? Oh yeah, reckless. <laughs> Zap gives you a highlighted warning, letting you know you may lose your funds and urges users to use testnet. There are many known issues with Neutrino as it stands today, and features like watchtowers and channel backups have yet to land in LND. This is strictly for testing, bug reporting, and iterating on the UX for mainnet LN Neutrino clients. Users electing to use Neutrino on mainnet may lose money and be labeled reckless for life. Whatever, dude. Jack, dude. That's awesome, bro. That's totally awesome. What else do we have here? Oh, God. Owner of ICO that never happened attempts to sell that project on eBay for $60,000 US. <laughs> this is from our bro at Man Ian Ban. What? Man Ian Ban? Ban? What? M A N I A N B A N. Man. I and Ben. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, so what the hell is this? This is a Coin Telegraph article by uh, Anna Berman, and yeah, owner of ICO attempts to sell project on eBay. On eBay, nonetheless. My God. Okay, the owner of a startup that never launched its initial coin offering is trying to sell the project on eBay for sixty thousand dollars, according to an offer on the e-commerce website that expires. Ooh, Friday, March 29th. Y'all better jump on that shit. Buy, buy that shit coin that never happened. The startup named Sponsy, S-P-O-N-S-Y, Sponsy, is described as a blockchain project that is fully prepared to launch both ICO and security token, token offerings. <laughs> Jesus. The author of the offer claims that the project was audited by an investment firm and approved by investment bankers. Moreover, the advertisement states that the solutions developed by Sponsi comply with European Union and United States regulations. Hmm. In addition, the project claims to have a solid social presence. I don't know. I've never heard of Sponsi. With over 10,000 likes on Facebook and 8,000 subscribers on Twitter. I'm sorry. Wow, that's a hell of a marketing pitch. Okay, so however, the Twitter page has only been updated twice a month <laughs> since the company announced its forthcoming token sale last December, and the posts have been around 10 likes on average. Sponsy has a similar presence on Facebook with posts randomly commented on by several seemingly bot-like users. The Financial Times has reached Ivan Komar, the founder of Sponsy, to find out why the ICO has not yet launched. Komar explained that the company missed the ICO hype of 2017 and no one became interested in its tokens later in 2019. <laughs> you freaking think? <laughs> Quote, we would not have tried to build a product first. We would have tried to run a token sale as soon as possible to jump into this crypto craze bandwagon and raise as much money as possible before building any product. And that's exactly what others were doing, end quote. However, Komar believes that the project can be successfully sold, especially due to the fact that the crypto part can easily, can be easily removed from it. Huh? Uh, he also admits that institutional approval is quite a strong statement. Quote, it might be, so, it, <clears throat> sorry, quote, 
It might be some kind of exaggeration. We did have a law firm based in the UK that ran some sort of audit on our project and it and it ranked it. Weird. <clears throat> and the rank that we got was pretty high and the risk we got was pretty low, end quote. Oh. The overwhelming popularity of ICOs in 2017 and early 2018 was described by the crypto industry as hype. Yeah. But nowadays, many experts believe the ICO boom is now over. Thank freaking God. During Q3 2018, from July to September of 2018, ICO funding overall has fallen by 48%. I wish it was fallen by 98% because all this shit is trash. Are you freaking kidding me? Are you, we, we, we had a law firm that ran some sort of audit on our project and it ranked it. No, literally that's word for word. It ranked it and it ranked it, man, that's, woo. you know, I don't even know what to say about this. So I'm not going to say anything more. I think it pretty much speaks for itself. It's bullshit. That's what it is. It's all bullshit. Next bullshit up in the thing is, um, no, I got to save that one for later, man. I I, got to save that for later. Let's, let's, I'm just going to nestle that right there where it belongs. All right. Yeah. Okay. But still next bullshit up in line is stop it. God, God, get some help. Coindesk. You're not going to like this, people. Coindesk.com by Ian Allison, dated yesterday, March 26, 2019. Louis Vuitton, owner LVMH, is launching a blockchain to track luxury goods. Yes, the shit show never stops, people. Luxury bank conglomerate LVMH, owner of the iconic Louis Vuitton label, is preparing to launch a blockchain for proving the authenticity of high-priced goods, Coindesk has learned. Codenamed Aura. Codenamed? You have a freaking code name? <laughs> the cryptographic Provence platform is expected to go live in May or June with Louis Vuitton and other LVMH brand. Parfum Christian Dior. Oh, God. I, I, I am so not French. Uh, <clears throat> it will then be extended to, to LVMH's other 60-plus luxury brands and eventually those of its competitors. LVMH has enlisted a full-time blockchain team who have been in stealth mode. <laughs> God, uh, has been in stealth mode for over a year, working closely with Ethereum design studio Consensus and Microsoft Azure, according to two people familiar with the project. Aura has been built using a permission version of the Ethereum block. Of course, of course, they're using a permission version of the Ethereum blockchain called Quorum. No, it's called a very large database. That's what it's called, which is focused on data privacy and was developed by JP Morgan. Oh, God, this is just terrible. Neither LVMH nor its partners, Consensus and Microsoft, would comment ahead of the project's official launch, but a source involved in the bill told Coindesk, quote, to begin with, Aura will provide proof of authenticity of luxury items and trace their origins from raw materials to point of sale and beyond to used goods markets. 
The next phase of the platform will explore protection of creative intellectual property, exclusive offers, and events for each brand's customers, as well as anti-ad fraud. White Label, stepping back, LVMH controls over 60 luxury brands, including many well-known names like Dior, Dom Perignon, and Hublot. Hublot. Man, whatever. The group reported revenues revenues of $53 billion in 2018. But it's not the first to propose an authenticity, authenticity tracking blockchain. There have been other luxury Provence platforms and many consortia such as RNE and VeChain. According to the source involved in the project, LVMH questioned why it would allow third parties to position themselves between its brands and their partners, especially since blockchain is supposed to be a technology for eliminating intermediaries. The source added, quote, this should be done in the form of an industry consortium rather than a third party actor coming into the marketplace, end quote. As such, LVMH intends to offer the service in a white label form to other brands, including the group's competitors. So rather than, oh my God. I don't even want to get into the implications of that. Are you freaking shit? But, oh, sorry. <clears throat> so rather than creating an app of some kind, Aura will run behind the brands using it. So if you are a customer of a luxury brand, you are not going to see Aura. You're going, you are going to see the Louis Vuitton app or the app of another luxury brand, the source explained. Equal footing, this all sounds great in theory, but it can be tricky for competitors on a onto uh, getting your competitors onto a blockchain platform, particularly if you happen to be as big and influential as LVMH. Not to mention the fact, people, that LVMH is the people creating said blockchain, which means they're going to have their competitors' data. If you're a competitor of Louis Vuitton, I'd stay as far away from this shit as humanly possible because they will know everything about your supply chain. Okay, moving on. To avoid the sort of problems experienced by the blockchain venture between IBM and Maersk, the LVMH will donate all intellectual property to a separate entity, and that entity in turn will be owned by the participating brands, said the source who added, quote, so Gucci, for example, could design, decide to join the platform and be a shareholder, in which case their claim to the IP would be as great as Louis Vuitton's claim to the IP. I think they're saying their IP. That is the main difference between this project and the IBM Maersk project, which hopefully makes it much more comparable to Comgo, the trade finance consortium. Uh, I'm not going to, well, it's actually not, not that much longer. Oh, oh, oh. And it meant story mentions crypto kitties. No, I must go on. In addition, quorum's data privacy tools should ensure that no information will be, be leaked between brands or their customers. Bullshit. Uh, bullshit. Further facilitating cooperation among firms. The project is very much in line with luxury goods industry standards. Is there really a manual on luxury good industry standards that I can read? Is there really? The source said, and particularly with the recent anti-counterfeiting efforts of the European Union Intellectual Property Office, beyond crypto kitties, it's not surprising LVMH chose an enterprise variety of Ethereum since it's the blockchain which gave birth to the ERC-721 non-fungible token standard. This allows for digital representations which are not only immutable but provide a hallmark of a one and only unique item. 
While the most famous example of NFTs is the whimsical game CryptoKitties, this kind of token has serious business potential. For example, it could conceivably identify an individual handbag and trace the whole journey of its life cycle from an alligator farm to the store where it was sold for the first time and then the multiple chains of owners that have owned and sold it. Oh, God, this is just a privacy nightmare. This is a privacy nightmare not only for any any of Louis Vuitton's competitors, it is a privacy nightmare for every single person who owns LVMH items. It might as well put a serial number and a fucking gun license in there with it. Another fundamental reason LVMH chose Ethereum is that the group sees today's permission version as merely an intermediate step to a grander vision. Once the technology matures, said the source, adding, quote, they see down the line permissioned and public networks as needing to be interoperable if they are to put power back to the customers. It's also a way for a global network of distributors and resellers to connect to a network without restriction, end quote. And that's going to do it. And I'm just, you know, it's it's a shit show based around a circus wrapped in an enigma and throw, needs to be doused in diesel, lit, lit on fire and thrown off the fucking deck of the Titanic. Don't, if, if, if if if, uh, if, 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 if if I mean I'm serious, man. If you own like a Louis Vuitton bag under this shit, and you sell it, you're, you're chained to whatever happens to that bag later on. Now that that who gives a shit? I, you know, I, it, it's it's not all the reasons that I could think of why you should give a shit. It's all the reasons I can't think of why you should give a shit. It's nobody's freaking business if I sell like, I don't know, a, a like a suitcase or something like that in a garage sale. That's ridiculous. It's also ridiculous as, as far as how much data do you want to, to save? I mean, it, and it may not be an issue of storage. One of these days, it may not be an issue of bandwidth. What it is, is an issue of filtering through all the fucking shit that you're going to store up. There's a... Have you ever seen the shows on, on like, you know, uh, History Channel or Lifetime Network where it shows these, these poor idiots who can't stop buying crap at Walmart and they just stow it in their house and after a while they can't find shit? Welcome to the future of idiocy blockchain, people. All right. So, yeah, if Louis Vuitton, stop it. Get some help. <clears throat> Maybe they're receiving space messages. Hell, I don't know. You know, messages from space that's penetrating their tinfoil cap. Like in this BitcoinMagazine.com article, UK Brexit deal beamed into space through Blockstream's satellite messaging app. Oh, how nice. Earlier this month, blockchain startup Blockstream announced that it was <clears throat> that its satellite messaging application programming interface API <clears throat> was launching on Bitcoin's mainnet. Now, one enterprising Bitcoiner has used this platform to beam the UK's proposed Brexit deal into space. The application allows users to beam data into space, which can be downloaded by anyone with the appropriate receiver. Users can pay for the service using the Lightning Network. Oh, I thought there was no development on Bitcoin and that Lightning was vaporware and etc etc and so on and so forth whatever 
In a post published on crypto review platform, How to Buy Crypto, crypto researcher Richard Gargan provided a description of his experience with Blockstream satellite application and how he used it to beam the full text of British Prime Minister Theresa May's proposed EU withdrawal agreement into space. (laughs) He followed the manual process detailed here of transmitting data to the blockchain. In the post, Gargan explained that he first converted May's proposed agreement into a .txt file. From there, he split the file, which had a size of roughly 820 kilobytes, into 82 separate pieces of 10 kilobytes each. He had to divide the file this way because the satellite transmission limit is 10 KB. Gargan then uploaded the files one at a time. He reported having to pay 0.0000060480 BTC for a single file. The fees for sending the file plus an additional fee for using the Lightning Network. Gargan ended up spending a total of 0.0005 BTC, or about $2 US, to transmit the full document to the blockchain. Long story short, Theresa May's Brexit withdrawal agreement is now in space, and since it's not encrypted, anyone with the right equipment or setup can download it. It took him one and a half hours to upload the whole document. His method, while simple and straightforward, shows that there's still a fairly constrained limitation on file sizes that Blockstream could improve on. Quote, it was a very laborious and tedious process as clearly it's designed to send short messages, Gargan told Bitcoin Magazine via email. Gargan reached out to the Blockstream or to Blockstream through Internet Relay Chat <clears throat> to inquire about the reasoning behind the 10 KB file size limit. Blockstream responded that the file size is currently limited so that other transmissions do not become backlogged. Blockstream CEO Adam Back told Bitcoin Magazine that the current file size limit exists because, quote, the current implementation is serialized and only streams one message at a time. So in order to provide a timely message service to many users, we currently implement that with a message limit. The team at Blockstream has reason to believe that there may be <clears throat> that there may be some backlog on its service. Quote, we have received quite a bit of interest in using the satellite APIs for various application and Bitcoin-related use cases. We plan to increase the available bandwidth based on demand by reinvesting the revenue to provide faster service back added. While this use case is revolutionary for the industry, it demonstrates an area in which more work could be done, particularly in the process of encoding data and breaking it into smaller chunks before transmitting it. This process will invariably invariably make it difficult to send content that loses its quality when broken into smaller chunks. Back said that, the block st- that Blockstream is continuing to improve the flexibility of its satellite data APIs and is expecting to have a more flexible stream capability in future upgrades. Quote, it would be possible with the existing satellite messaging API for application programmers to make a utility to fragment and reassemble the content or even stream low to medium bandwidth content, he said. Part of the motivation behind Blockstream satellite service was to provide a means of reducing the Bitcoin network's dependency on conventional internet connectivity. It works by allowing users to broadcast data all over the world via the Bitcoin network while ensuring security and accessibility. Blockstream launched its satellite service in 2017 with a focus on transmitting messages to receivers in Europe, Africa, and the Americas. It later explained to Asia or expanded to Asia and added support for lightning payments. So there's that. 
And like I said, I thought Lightning Network was vaporware. I thought there was no development on the Bitcoin network. Blah, 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 blah. But apparently this shit is all flammable because according to Bloomberg News, a critic of cryptocurrency says Bitcoin needs to be burnt with fire. Now, this is an audio, this is an audio, this is a podcast that it's linked to. But uh, there's a there's a blurb here about it that says, and this is uh, by Tracy Alloway and Joe Weisenthal. Um, every week, hosts Joe Weisenthal and Tracy Alloway take you on a not-so-random walk through hot topics in markets, finance, and economics. There's a problem in many debates about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. While many people are inclined to dismiss them as fraudulent Ponzi schemes, most of those critics aren't particularly well informed by them, so their dismissals are hollow and uncompelling. On this week's episode, we speak with Nicholas Weaver, a Berkeley computer scientist who is well-versed on the technology who argues why the entire space ought to be burnt in a fire. Wow, that's some pretty strong freaking words, man. <laughs> I was not aware that computers and computer code, electrons, I, I was not aware that they were f- all flammable like that. But, you know, whatever. Because Bitcoin marches on. As Luke Dash Jr. notes, Bitcoin full nodes recently shot back up from 60,000 to 80,000. Any ideas? Why? So we've seen a major jump in the addition of uh, Bitcoin full nodes to the network. I think this is cool. I think it's very, very, very cool. And in in you know answer to uh, Mister Junior's question, I I think it's people like you know Nodal and um, God and oh. You know, things like Node Launcher are coming out. You got people that are building standalone units. You've got code coming out that converts a, a freaking old iPhone or a desktop, you know, TV, you know, like a Roku box. I'm not sure if it's Roku, but, you know, a, a set top TV box into a full node. And I think there are people that are like going, well, you know, I don't want to really build one from scratch. Um, and Raspberry Pis are starting to be getting to the end of its like life cycle as far as its use usefulness as a full node doesn't mean that there's not slightly there's slightly more expensive units but are bigger and high you know have a uh, much more processing uh ability and they can be used as full nodes but still you gotta know what the hell you're doing and there's a lot of people that want to take part that that look at the learning curve of this stuff and goes and, and just say to themselves f that I ain't doing that. I don't want to learn it because I got other shit to do. I'm a lawyer. I need to go lawyer over here. I'm a doctor. I need to go doctor some people over here. You know, they, they don't want to, they don't want to do this stuff, but they are interested. And that, it seems to me that that interest, and this is opinion only, that that interest is converting itself into people building businesses that just say, you know what? You don't want to build a node. We'll build it for you. And I can, Chris DeRose is just, he hates this. He, He really does. Chris DeRose hates this because somebody else is going to be the trusted party to build the node that you buy and blah, 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 even though it will sync up with the entire Bitcoin network and cannot really operate without consensus. And that consensus comes from a decentralized, whatever you get, you get what I'm saying. I, I, my personal opinion, I believe Luke Dash Jr. uh, I think his question is answered by 
things like Nodal and, you know, all these node companies. I, I really do. I, I, th- I think that that's what's going on. Um, oh, good Lord. Uh, I think that's going to end up being something else. And that's going to end up being something else. Let's get into cool. Uh, Grubles, my buddy Grubles at not Grubles, N-O-T-G-R-U-B-L-E-S. Things I've encountered receiving the Blockstream API data. Now, this is going, this is the Blockstream satellite API data, and we were just talking about that. But Grubles himself um, has a tweet out there about what he's seen. And what Grubles says at the end of this is very, should we should think about this a lot. Things I've encountered receiving the Blockstream satellite API data. Laura Mipsum, love notes, venting, wife's a pain in the ass, <laughs> encrypted stuff, wallet seeds, journals, news headlines, Brexit docs, very interesting other data, puzzles, and memes. <laughs> it's like a new form of Twitter. And that's the sentence in this tweet that we should roll over in our heads for a minimum of 24 hours so that we get what Grubles is trying to freaking say. It's like a new form of Twitter. Now he's got like four, four screen caps of examples of, of what he caught. Um, and indeed, if we go through it, <clears throat> um, you know, I'm looking at, I'm looking at one now. Uh, Kate, I know I may never get the chance to tell you how I feel in person, but I do want to tell you the world, you and the world one last time from the night we met when you were so shy and all I really knew were at at blah, 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 blah. It's a love note. Through Bitcoin via Blockstream satellite API. Anybody's picking this up. This is like radio. This is like this is like being back in the days when when you know you you bought your first radio when radio technology was first coming out and it was first made available to the public and you sat there and you fiddled, fiddled with it until you you tuned into that first station. Now I, obviously I wasn't there. None of us were. We were all not born yet. But it's been written about and people have been excited. Were excited at the time that they were tuning in and they were getting transmissions from another place on the planet. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Well, you can now with Blockstream Satellite API because there's all kinds of shit coming through this thing. Check it out, man. This is like from CNBC. U.S. versus Russia. Everything you need to know about the battle for influence in Venezuela. The U.S. and Russia are locked in a battle for influence over a crisis. This is from the Blockstream API. The, the, oh, sorry, the, the Satellite API. It's amazing, man. Uh, Another one, switching the satellite messaging to the mainnet was the best motivation for me to fire up my first real Bitcoin lightning node and become truly reckless. It was easy to do over Tor with Grubel's tutorial. I almost did it for the block stream. Oh, man, that's really cool because, you know, Grubel's actually got this talking about himself. (laughs) Oh, that's he's probably going, oh, that's me. He's talking about me. Anyway, uh, what's the last one that he's got up here? 
wallet seed, hex. I am not going to read 50 million lines of, of letters and numbers and uppercase and lowercase, but that's what I'm looking at right here. God, you know, it's like a new form of Twitter. Let me say it again. It's like a new form of Twitter. It's like a new form of Twitter. Think about this. And, and one last thing that I'm going to mention about this is that when I was reading that, that, uh, uh, that tweet for this morning, just, just to you right now, I was reading it off of as part of a retweet that I made, which says, sir, go fuck yourselves. Who is this too? Why I'm replying to the European Commission's Twitter account, which has tweeted out yesterday, we welcome Euro Pearl EN's vote in favor of modernized rules fit for the digital age. A new copyright directive designed to bring tangible benefits to citizens, all creative sectors, the press, researchers, educators, and cultural heritage institutions. And then they give a, a copy to their press release of that horrendous bullshit that they passed yesterday which is a copyright freaking nightmare, right? Well, you know what? It doesn't really matter because all of this shit just now got another channel for transmission that you guys have zero control over. And you will not have any control over it for a very long time. And when you finally wrap your freaking heads around how to control it, something else is going to be there because we're all tired of your bullshit. And this is exactly what you should expect to happen from a body, a living being that you continually pummel year and year over decades and decades and centuries and centuries for fucking millennia. After a while, it is going to fight back. And when I mean the body, I mean the body of the people at this point. You guys are done. The only thing that's on fire here is you guys. You're going to burn down. You're going to burn down. You are already on fire. You just don't know it yet. So, sir, go fuck yourselves. Local Bitcoins, another GFY-worthy moment, is beingcrypto.com. Uh, in in beingcrypto.com has a new story. Local Bitcoins ends anonymity following new EU regulations. Well, how about that? Anton Sabalo, 26 March, 2019. Local Bitcoins is one of the oldest online marketplaces to buy and sell Bitcoin. Now the once anonymous exchange is finally enacting a proper verification process. Oh, The fact that that was written as a sentence should be rather disturbing because that means that the author agrees because it's a proper verification process. The rest of us should probably be standing up going, no, the whole verification process by itself is improper. There's no right way to do the wrong fucking thing. Anonymous Bitcoin buying and selling is no more, at least in the EU. Local Bitcoin is one of the last places to offer such a service is officially changing its policy after receiving pressure from the European Union. This is why you decentralize. I like local Bitcoins. Don't get me wrong. They've done more for the space than a lot of companies and a lot of people. But the fact that they can have the fact that they have a phone number is disturbing. Right. And I think for the next, you know, 
hundred years, we're going to be figuring out what does decentralization actually mean? How do we actually do it? Not by code first, not by mathematics first, not by stringing machines together first. No, no, no. What the fuck is the theory of decentralization? If I were to say, never mind, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even going to try to articulate that. All I'm saying is, is that I think for the next century, one of the things that's going to be a hot topic in philosophy, sans math, sans, sans writing code, sans everything, just from a philosophy class level standpoint, what is decentralization? I think for the next hundred years, that is going to be an on fire topic. Like, and when I mean on fire topic in academics, I mean topics that get funded. Like when I was, when I was doing my undergrad in cell and molecular biology, I was a researcher at a health science center and we were doing calcium, uh, calcium level research in diabetic cells. We got funding out the ass. When I presented my research in Washington, D.C., I had five deep in my poster. Deep. I'm talking all like 180 degree spread and then five deep of PhDs. Why? Was it diabetes? No, nobody gives a shit. Was it the fact that we were working on adult rat cells? No, nobody gives a shit. Was it the fact that we were using really high-powered microscopes and, and new technology to visualize the end of the cell? No, nobody gives a shit. They gave a shit about calcium. Calcium was a hot topic research for 10 straight years. If you were working on calcium and mammal cells, son of a bitch, did you get funding? I think that that's what's going to happen here. I think decentralization theory is going to be one of those academic things where people are going to, that's how they're going to get their new PhDs. Hell, we're going to figure out what does decentralization actually mean. And we will do it. I was about to say, if we don't, we're in trouble. I'm not even going to say that. It's going to happen because of shit like this. You know, I mean, local Bitcoins, we, we all love local Bitcoins, but they find themselves not decentralized. And this this will be the test. Is something decentralized? I don't know. If you see an if that something ends up with a headline, if that something's name ends up as part of a headline like this, your first answer is no. It's not decentralized. Moving on, the Lightning Network. Oh wow. Let's see. Uh, Bitmex Research. Nice, bro. Nice. The Lightning Network Part Two: Routing Fee Economics. All right, so this is Bitmex at Bitmex Research, and they have released a blog. We examine the market dynamics of lightning routing fees and the incentives to provide liquidity, balancing the need for low routing fees and investment returns for liquidity providers may be a challenge. All right, so there's there's more stuff about this whole routing thing. I, either you know, I saw it like yesterday or the day before, or something like that. Somebody was bitching hardcore about how routing fees are, are going to be impossible. No, nothing is impossible. We have seen this. Nothing is impossible. BitMEX, uh, BitMEX research uh, bleh, continues, Lightning is still very much in the experimental phase. However, we discovered that changing the Lightning routing fee rates does impact a Lightning node's fee income. Fee income is maximized with a routing fee of around 0.1 basis points. BitMEX Research, 
were able to earn an annualized investment return of almost 1% on our outbound channel balance based on the most profitable fee bucket by running a Lightning node. And they've got a link here to their blog where they go in-depth in that, and that all of this stuff, as usual, people, is going to be included <clears throat> in my uh, curated Twitter timeline that I use to set this show up. I'm actually reading from my curated Twitter timeline. I drop all the tweets that I'm going to talk about into that timeline and I make that available to you free of charge. Well, actually all this shit's free of charge. What the hell am I talking about? In either event, you can go read this for yourself. If you did not get it, uh, a link to my curated timeline is in the show notes. This is always uploaded to SoundCloud. So if you need to go to the source, go to SoundCloud, Bitcoin, and you'll get to it. Click on the show. It'll be in the, it'll be, it'll be the, the thing to my curated timeline will be in there and it will get you right to the exact same thing I'm looking at right now. What I am looking at right now is the actual BitMEX research blog post, the Lightning Network Part 2 Routing Fee Economics, which was released. This says March 27, 2019. So sometime this morning, and I'll just read the abstract to you uh, because it's, I mean, it's a research paper, people. I'm not going to do that to you. BitMEX research examines the market dynamics of Lightning Network routing fees and the financial incentives for Lightning node operators to provide liquidity. We identified the interrelationship and balance between Lightning routing fees and investment returns for channel liquidity providers as a major challenge for the network rather than the computer science aspects of the routing problem. We conclude that if the Lightning Network scales, at least in theory, conditions in wider financial markets, such as changing interest rates and investor sentiment, may impact the market for Lightning Network fees. However, regardless of the prevailing economic conditions, we are of the view that in the long term, competition will be the key driver of prices. Low barriers to entry into the market could mean the balance favors users and low fees rather than investment returns for liquidity providers. It's going to be an interesting market battle. That's all I can say about that. That is going to be a very, very, very interesting market uh, market battle because at, at this point, I can see a, a scenario where people who have like, you know, that, that office out of a 40-story office building in the middle of Cincinnati with, you know, with people wearing suits and ties and, and smart, you know, business type dresses and shit like that, are having to fight some idiot with a, you know, with hot pocket stains on their t-shirt playing freaking world of Warcraft while their damn, you know, node is competing with them in the corner. All right. So we're, we're, we are headlong into something we've never seen before. And it is exciting AF Joe. What Weisenthal? Oh God. Okay. Joe, I think it's Weisenthal. If Joe, if I'm mispronouncing your name, I am truly sorry. It may be Weisenthal. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I do not know which way to pronounce it. I'm going to go with Weisenthal because that's the way that I've always heard it. <clears throat> so, incredible headlines out of Turkey right now. Borsa Instable... In, Istanbul 100 index drops 5%. The banking index is down 6.8%. Turkish lira overnight swap rates rise 1,000%. Investors scramble for liras as Turkish swap rates touch 1,000%. This is the market section of Bloomberg by Konstantin Korkulas. 
and Kagan Cock. Dated March 26, 2019. Updated today at 9.35 a.m. Central Daylight Time. That was about, wow, a few minutes ago. It is now 9.46 Central Daylight Time. Nice. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Investors dumped Turkish bonds and stocks on Wednesday after the nation orchestrated a currency crunch to prevent the Lyra from sliding days before an election that will test support for President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. I, I'm never going to pronounce his name. The president of Turkey. You know who the guy is. The cost of borrowing liras overnight on the offshore swap market soared past 1,000% at one point on Wednesday because local banks are under pressure not to provide liquidity to foreign fund managers who want to bet against the lira. Lira. They also don't want the, those assholes pulling money out. <laughs> it's like there is there is also the, the simple side of that. Uh, yeah. So okay, guys. Basically, what is this? Yeah, th- these countries keep fighting off the inevitable. Their currencies are going to crash. Lira's, it, the Lira's not doing well. Clearly, the Bolivar hasn't been doing well. If, and if if Turkey folds up, and I, I was saying this like four years ago, and I was wrong then, so I'm probably wrong now, but for some reason or another, I keep seeing Turkey as the linchpin of the European Union. I don't know why. It's not that, I mean, Germany has the largest economy in the EU as far as I know. Maybe they're battling with France or something like that. I don't give a shit. I don't like the EU. Don't get me wrong. I like you guys in the EU. It's just, it seems kind of funky that you can't call your own shots, that people in Brussels are doing it for you. We got the same problem here. I live in Texas. I don't like the fact that Washington, D.C. is calling so many of the shots. You know, the shit's supposed to be like, if you're in Texas, you probably have different things to deal with in Texas than somebody has to deal with in Washington State. And you're right, we do. The weather's completely freaking different. That impacts economy. Anyway, as far as Turkey's concerned, I still think for some reason or another, and I can't get it out of my head, and I don't know why, I'm not an economist, I wasn't trained that way, and I don't give a shit if everybody laughs at that. I don't care. Somehow or another, I get the feeling that if Turkey folds up, and I mean hardcore rolls up, I get the feeling that it would be Italy next, Spain, and then starts rolling up through France, and all the way up into Germany where it unzips like some assholes fly, right? We may be seeing, we may be seeing that with Turkey, but Turkey's been in this position before and somehow or another, it just died away. So will it die away this time? I don't know, but this shit looks pretty bad. If it's going, if I now have to pay 10 times the amount of money to get Lira as a foreign investor, if I'm trying to actually do something either in their markets and I'm using their money or if I want to pull money out, I'm being you know restricted by a massive rise in the cost of doing business over there in, or this type of business over there. So somebody's scared as shit. And it is amazing that this always, or not always, but that this in, many times, but not always, has something to do with goddamn elections again. You know? Oh, well, no, money's, money is not run by the government. Bullshit. Bullshit. Or money has some, like, you know, because it's in the hands of the people, even if it is governed by the, the government, it's still the, the, money, the money is affected by something as stupid as an election. 
and it is stupid at this point because you're just trading one thief for another, then, then I don't even know where the, where's the value in that? I don't, whatever. Bloomberg article, I'm not going to go on because it's just, it's just words that add up to seriously bad news for uh, our brothers and sisters over in Turkey. And I am, my heart goes out to them because this is just crap. This is just crap. It, I swear to God, it's like a race to the bottom with these countries. It is literally like a race to the bottom. And speaking of races, let's have a song.
rush for you, man. That's some vital rush. Speaking of vitals, Bitcoin prices at an average of $4,025 with a high over at Bitfinex at $4,078 and a low over at Bitstamp at $4,008. 364,000 transactions were done in the last 24 hours with an average transaction number per hour of 15,000. 1.2 million BTC were sent during that 24-hour period, an average of 53,000 per hour, with an average transaction value of 3.51 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.033 BTC, or about 130 bucks. Block time is at 10 minutes, 17 seconds. Looks like 0.32 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. And over the last 24 hours, 45 BTC has been taken in fees. That's a hell of a spike right there. We have lost 5.28% hash rate in the last 24 hours, bringing us down to 44.4 exahashes per second. Last GitHub commit was yesterday, uh, the 26th of March. Across the board, Ethereum is at 138, Litecoin is at 60, Bcash is at 167, BSV is at 64, Ethereum Classic is at four and a three quarters. Dogecoin's gained 0.0021. And with 33,500 transactions over the last 24 hours, Dogecoin is back on top of both Bcash and BSV transactions combined. Nice. Nice. Marty's Bent for today, or not today, it's for yesterday, Tuesday, March 26, 2019, issue number 448, Push versus Pull. Mr. Hodel has a tweet that he's linking to. I don't think we talk enough about push versus pull systems. I'm right there with you, Mr. Hodel. The topic of push versus pull systems has been touched upon in this rag many moons ago, but I do not have the time to use my MacGyvered archive system to find the particular issues right now. With that being said, it's never a bad idea or a bad time to remind oneself of this aspect of Bitcoin's value proposition, especially for merchants and citizens who are subjected to having their money pulled from their bank accounts via negative interest rate policies. When one makes traditional payment via credit or debit card at a store, the merchant's point of sale system is interacting with a number of other intermediaries to communicate with your bank so that they can pull the necessary funds from your account, layering fees and complicated settlement schemes behind each transaction. With Bitcoin, this interaction is completely different. When you purchase something with Bitcoin, a merchant isn't communicating with your wallet to signal that you have okayed some funds to be pulled from it. You sign your private key, sending a combination of one or more UTXOs to the wallet address of the merchant, pushing your funds to them and receiving change from the Bitcoin network if the UTXOs you send isn't the exact amount requested, which will be the case in most instances. This seemingly small distinction has massive implications for some aspects of commerce. One which jumps to the top of the list for people who discuss this topic is merchant chargebacks. People stealing credit cards, using them at merchants, the original owner claiming fraud, and having the money pulled from the merchant's account. There is also scum out there who will claim fraud after making a legitimate purchase after they later regret. 
Another way funds are pulled from individual accounts outside of chargebacks would be NIRP or forced asset seizure by governments who feel you did not pay enough taxes. The fact that Bitcoin is a push system neuters these capabilities of the state and gives a bit of leverage back to the individual when it comes to negotiating taxes. It is impossible for governments to pull UTXOs from a Bitcoin wallet without having access to the private keys. Yes, they could go door to door and try to force individuals to sign their private keys and send funds to Uncle Sam, but that seems like a logistical nightmare that could only be implemented if the U.S. U.S. government went full Gestapo. Don't count on it, freaks. The opportunity to shift from a physical cash-like push system in the digital world is an overwhelmingly enormous development and opportunity that not many people grasp yet. The tools that we need to help push the pendulum of power back towards the individual exist today. They just aren't widely known and or evenly distributed in due time. Final thought, I don't get tan, I get red. (laughs) Nice, nice. Thank you, Marty. Torchlight, your torchlight has been passed from Zeus at Zeus LN. The torch moves on to the great beauty on. Thanks to everyone who worked to get the torch to me and to everyone in the ecosystem that makes Bitcoin better each and every day with their valiant efforts. It's been an honor. Number 259 signing off. Hashtag LN Trust Chain. Beauty on replies. Well, he doesn't reply, but beauty on's tweet next tweet is I received the lightning torch from the very patient at Zeus LN. The next hop is 4.07 million Satoshis. Invoice for great justice. Hashtag LN Trust Chain. I love the way Zeus signed that off. Number 259 signing off. And it may not mean a damn thing to anybody outside this community, but having a number of the original Lightning Trust Chain, uh, that's, that's a big deal. I will not have one of those numbers. And it's not because I don't want the trust chain. I'm not set up for it. Right now, I don't have time to get set up for it. And that's okay. That really is. If anybody wants to scream at me, that's okay too. But watching this, watching this torch get passed and watching people you know, say things like, it's been an honor, valiant effort, invoice for great justice, Shit. Hold on or not, dude. One of these days, one of these days, I'm going to sauna up there in freaking Norway and we're going to drink beer and we're going to have smoked fish and we're going to do all this shit that people in Norway do. I don't know what they, what y'all do up there, but I'll bet you my ass is probably pretty damn fun. I'm thinking late summer. Or, yeah, late summer, because I think you guys' growing season up there is like four months tops, maybe five, because I think you're down in the, the maybe the, if you're down in the lower latitudes up there, uh, then you might get five. But most of the time, man, you're so, you guys are so far up north that, that the growing season is really, 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 really short. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe late spring, 
late, late, late spring, early, early summer, or late summer, early fall, something like that. I think that would be a joyous time to visit Norway. Probably never going to happen for me, but because I'm just such a homeboy. I don't even have a, a freaking passport. God, that's just sad, man. Just absolutely sad. Anyway, that's where the torch is. The torch is being held by our good buddy, Beauty On. And uh, if you haven't followed Beauty On, at B-E-A-U-T-Y-O-N underscore, please go do it. He He's, he's a top-notch thinker in the space. You know, he's, he's top-notch. You read his stuff, and it's like, my God. And he's got a really neat, varied background. His background is totally cool, man. He's also a radio head, man, which, you know, which... I can't think of a better place um, for to have the torch rest for a while than in Beautyon's hands, because people like you know Rodolfo Novak, Beautyon, a whole handful of other people, you know that are radio heads. Plus, you know we we talked about the Blockstream satellite API. You know, for everybody who just just is willfully freaking ignorant about the you know, and says statements like what if the internet goes away well if the internet goes away cities will burn <laughs> that's just going to happen but let's say that after all the cities are burned and we're still without internet we're still going to have bitcoin people because of people like Beautyon, because of people like Rodolfo Novak because of mesh networks because of Daniela Portoromo I know I butchered your name Daniela I'm sorry um, and all the all the other great people in this in this space that are on that lymphatic system of the internet. What do I mean by that? Most mammals have two circulatory systems. We have the regular blood circulatory system, which without will die. Yes, that's true. But we also have the lymphatic circulatory system, which circulates and is more a part of the immune system. Apropos, it's apropos that the radio heads out there are building this second circulatory system. More power to you. Invoice for great justice. Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by BTC King 555. At BTC King 555. There are now tons of pissed off Asian investors that were duped by Jihan Wu to invest during summer at 12 to 14 billion with a promise of IPO at minimum 18 billion. Now, many understand this is a mirage, and Jihan deceived them on numbers and outlook. His reputation is shit. No one will go nowhere near Bitmain for funding and expect litigation for investors to try to recover their monies. If not for the summer, $700 million fundraise, Bitmain would be bankrupt now. Jihan and CFO lied on numbers and investors, SoftBank, Tencent, to lock in capital. Already in August, I warned many investors and prevented them from investing. Those that did not listen, good luck recovering your money. I hear there is class action in works in Hong Kong. Man, dude, jeez, by God. 
Uh, continuing on, BTC King 555 is uh, uh, tweeting to Anthony Pompliano. And I don't know, I haven't vetted, I have zero idea if Anthony Pompliano has asked BTC King to come on his podcast. I do not know. However, what I do know is what BTC King 555 wrote, and I'm going to read this to you. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast, A. Pompliano, to further expose Bitmain and its transparent business practices. Transparent is in quotes. But I will only do it if Jihan is there and answers tough questions. One, sources say Jihan already knew of collapsing fortunes in June and he rushed rounds. Two, why did he okay putting SoftBank, Tencent, GIC, and DST as investors in the presentation when there were nowhere they were nowhere near it. Three, is he aware of his CFO changing, charging side fees for the SPVs? Four, why did he okay KPMG covering up the numbers in his presentation? Five, why did he screw Dash investors? Why did he okay Outlook for last year's revenue, <clears throat> $10 billion, when realistically he knew it would be 70% off? Seven, does he regret liquidating all of his BTC and supporting BCH, losing over $1 billion in the process? What's Bitmain revenue and profit outlook for 2019? We hear even worse than 2018. Nine, was his removal as CEO really a trick to to avoid investor litigation? Ten, how will he answer to investors whom he tricked into coming in at $14 billion valuation when he and CFO already knew numbers not supporting? You get the picture. Oh, man, I would hate to be on the receiving end of that set of questions. Um, yeah, there are questions themselves around the identity of BTC King 555. I don't know. I'm not in a position to find out the guys, you know, as far as I can tell, he's done pretty good job at not being out there. He's, he's done a really good job remaining anonymous as to who he actually is. I think if somebody else knows, please, please let me know. But as far as I know, this guy has been leaking Bitmain information for God knows, you know, a couple of years now, maybe a year and a half. Anyway, I hope he does go on Anthony Pompliano. I hope I hope Anthony did um, uh, invite him to uh, his podcast, um, and i i would like to I would like to hear this this discussion. Don't hold your breath. This shit is not going to happen. Jihan is not going to hang out with BTC King on Anthony Pompliano's podcast. If he did, it would be a my God, it would be such a disaster. Uh, such a disaster. Oh my God. Um, let's see here. Um, let's, let's get in a little bit into the, what, what's going on with Bitmain. Uh, Bitmain's IPO filing has expired. Uh, this would happened a couple of days ago. This is like March 25th. This is from Bitcoin magazine. And before I begin, let me, uh, uh, make sure that, that I reiterate to people who do not know that Bitcoin magazine uh, has now basically understood that the only game in town is Bitcoin. They don't talk anymore about shit coins. At least if they do, it's in relation to something concerning Bitcoin itself. They have rededicated themselves to reporting on Bitcoin 
And I, I applaud that because the rest of this crap is just a waste of time. This is by Colin Harper at Asley Hodling. Oh, I'm sorry, Asley. I's, I's and L's in this font look exactly the same. As I lay hodling at A-S-I-L-A-Y-H-O-D-L-I-N-G. Bitmain's long anticipated initial public offering filing with the Hong Kong Stock Exchange is officially a bust. The mining titan's IPO expired on Tuesday, March 26th. Bitmain filed the application for its IPO on September 26, 2018, and the Hong Kong Stock Exchange had six months to decide whether to reject the filing, graduate it to a hearing stage, or let it lapse. After half a year in limbo, the exchange is in action, means the filing has officially expired. Bitmain's listing application to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, HKEX, in September 2018 has reached its six-month expiration date, according to a press release that Bitmain shared with Bitcoin Magazine. We do recognize that despite the huge potential of the cryptocurrency and blockchain industry, it remains a relatively young industry, which is proving its value. We hope regulatory authorities, media, and the general public can be more inclusive to this young industry. We will start restart the listing application work at an appropriate time in the future. Recent speculation surrounding the lofty IPO, which Bitmain reportedly hoped would raise a record $18 billion, assumed that the application would peter out as the deadline drew nearer without any indication that it would reach the next step in the filing process. The release continued to note, the listing process has made the company more transparent and standardized, you know, much to the chagrin of Jihan. At the very least, it's brought... The tenuous health of the mining firm's finances into the public light at the state of these fi- as and the state of these finances could be the very reason why the application never progressed past the filing phase. And we kind of know the rest of that story, so I won't belabor it. But man, dude, if that ain't a train wrecked, I don't know what the hell is. Terrible Joke Corner, as usual, brought to you by Bad Joke Cat. What do you call a nervous javelin thrower? Shakespeare. (laughs) What else else would you call a nervous javelin thrower but Shakespeare? God, this is really bad. Okay, that's it, man. I'm going to get this thing rendered down and out to you guys as soon as I can. Had a lot of fun today. Um, Hope I have this much fun on Friday. Of which can be said, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.